Philippians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Then he says this, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And let's pray. This past week I was talking to a friend of mine that was with somebody else in his truck and as we were talking I heard suddenly Jim go silent and he says, Rev, he calls me Rev. He goes, Rev, you're not going to believe it, but these four people got out of this car and just started fighting. So I saw him a little bit later, and I said, what happened? And he goes, I have no idea, but whatever was going on in the car escalated in that car, and they got out, and the girls and the guys started to, started to fight with one another, and they were on the ground tussling around, and finally some people came up and broke it up. And, I th- and he says to me, what, what is the matter with people? I said, that's a really good question. It's a really good question. I said, if you look a little bit later and, and you look up where it was at, you'll probably find the fight on YouTube because what people like to do now is they just don't get involved and try to help anybody. They just sit back and film it so they can put it on their Instagram or they can put it on YouTube. I don't know about you, but it seems like, and I kind of alluded to this last week, sort of in the service after the service, that there seems to be more conflict than ever. People are more spring-loaded than ever. And if you don't really believe that, all you have to do is go online on Facebook, on not so much on Instagram, but on Twitter, and there are arguments and quarrels that break out. And I see Christian people getting involved in this, and whether it's in politics or trying to argue uh, theology, what it winds up doing is it winds up reducing and, and sort of disintegrating into these personal attacks. I think, I was talking with someone you know, last week about this, because everybody wants to blame whoever, whatever side they're on, especially in the White House, whatever side you're on, you're not going to blame your guy, you're going to blame the other guy. But this actually goes way back when you talk about the Oval Office and what's happened. It started actually way back from what we can trace pretty much around Bill Clinton's time as email really started to kick in, and then we started with social media, and it's been nasty ever since then. It didn't just start this past November. And if you look at our actual history, it's been, it's been bad all throughout our history. The names that people call one another. And so the conflict, it, the bottom line is you can't live in this culture today and not have to deal with conflict. I mean, let's face it. Marriage has conflicts. Right? If yours doesn't, you can preach next week. Relationships have conflict. Businesses, you have conflict at work. You have somebody that maybe that's not carrying their load, or you've got a, a coworker that's doing something else, or you've got a, a boss that's a jerk, and it seems like you have conflict there. You may have conflict in your family. There's that one or two of your family members that, as soon as you see them, as soon as you think about them, your stomach starts to churn because you know that you're going to go to battle with them over something. They just they irritate you just by looking at you, or you looking at them. We have conflict when we're driving down the road. And it, and, and it escalates. Somebody gives somebody else the universal sign of brotherhood, and the next thing you know, they're out of the car. You know what that is, the state bird of Florida? Yeah. I hope none of you do that. It's amazing how it escalates so quickly. 
We don't debate on issues anymore. We don't, we don't talk about issues and we're not, we're not cordial to each other when we're arguing theology or we're, we're arguing politics or anything else. No, no, no. It reduces to personal attacks and a quarrel can turn into sometimes physical blows or worse, we've seen people getting killed and guns being pulled. How many of you remember the Hollywood Sportatorium? Some of you remember it. Uh, I had a, a neighbor that was actually out there that got into a road rage incident and some guy came after him and they got into it and he went back to the car, went back to the truck and the guy got back out and came at him again and Mike didn't see it. He had a knife and he killed him. Mike was like 19 years old. This was way back. It, it's only escalating, folks. And by the way, I, I, don't, I don't know whether you know this, because hopefully, if you're new to church, you don't know this. But I'm going to reveal something to you. Churches are full of conflict. It happens. And usually, they're not over the major stuff. It's over the minor stuff. We used to make the joke, I used to say when I was leaving somewhere, I'm going to make like a Baptist church and split because Baptist churches used to split all the time. We had it here in Dania Beach. There was two churches, but the one Baptist church didn't, some people didn't like it, so they moved down and started another Baptist church. Neither one of them are in existence now, by the way, because they, they each had it their way, you know what I mean? They, they were right, and by God, they're going down the street and starting another church, and meanwhile, neither church is in existence anymore because of internal conflict. The weird thing is, is that this isn't new. This was going on even in the early church. There was, there was conflict. And what we're going to do this morning is look at one story and then look at some very practical things that we could pull out of it. And it's a story that we don't look at that much. We actually have to kind of look at some of the background. Now, Paul is writing to, of course, the church of Philippi. And by the way, it is one of the most positive epistles that you will read. Paul is, talks about joy and, and, and it, it really the whole entire theme is, is joy. And what's, he's talking about joy. And meanwhile, remember, Remember, he's writing this from in prison. But he's excited about the church at Philippi and what's going on. But he, he goes through a couple of things. And then in, in Philippians chapter 2, he starts telling them, look, I need you to start being like Christ. And then he outlines what Christ did. And he talks about how, how even though he was in this, this, you know, the form of God, and even though he was God himself, that he didn't, he didn't take uh, equality with God as something to be held on to. So he said he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And he says, God's highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he says, I want you to be like Jesus, because if Jesus came off of his pedestal to serve, you could do the same thing. Now, there's only one reason why Paul would have to feel like he needs to say that and address that, because there was a problem. There was an issue. You don't really know what the issue is and who it's with until you get to chapter 4 when he's about to wrap stuff up. So he kind of piggybacks on chapter 3. He's kind of closing up, and he says, Therefore, because of all these things, my brothers, verse 1, and sisters, you whom I love and I long for to see. I can't wait to see you all. You're my joy and you're my crown. Continue to stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And then he says this, I plead. I beg, 
I admonish. I'm down on my knees with Euodia, and I'm pleading with Syntyche. These were two women. And he says this, to be of the same mind, right? Does he stop there? No, no. He says, I'm pleading with these two ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now you can almost see probably what has happened here. We have no idea what the debate was about. These obviously were two ladies who were leaders in the church. Now, I don't, if you've been in church very long, you'll find out very quickly that people have their territory. I know this is where they say you move from preaching to meddling, you know. People have their territory, they have their stuff. You know, some of you got your pew. And when that gets encroached on, it's like, now wait a minute. This is where I've been sitting. I've been sitting here since I got off the ark with Noah. This was my seat. That's my coffee pot, my chair, my keyboard, my microphone. I donated those Bibles. I, 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 I. We have no idea what the conflict was. But something big was happening between these two female leaders in the church. And you could almost spot what's happened. Because you all have done it. And I've done it. You know, you're standing for the truth. You're doing what's right. God is on your side. And so what you do because God's on your side, obviously there are other people who want to be on God's side that need to be on your side, so you tell them about it. So then it starts. And you have people talking over here. And then you have people talking over there. So all of a sudden, they were probably coming in to worship service, and you had people that were, ooh, look at who's sitting with Euodia today. Oh, I can't believe Sentiki. Look at what she's wearing. And that name, Sentiki, even in itself, that's just a stupid name. And you can watch it, the conflict, going. It's interesting. If I can pull it up, uh, see if I can read this from the New Living Translation. <laughs> here's, here's, how, here's how it says the New Living Translation. Now I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, and then he says, please, listen to this, because you belong to the Lord... I'm asking you to settle your, and he calls it, a disagreement. There was a disagreement. There was a conflict. There was some issue that these two people had, and they were now creating issues in the church. And so Paul says, look, I need you to be of the same mind. In the Lord. Keep that in mind, because I guarantee you not one of us are going to agree on all issues in here. But there are a couple of issues that we can completely agree on. I guarantee you that right now, I, I'm a genius, but I bet you politically, we're about 50-50. You know how I know that? Because the country's about 50-50. We're not going to agree on politics. And most times we'll think, well, they can be right, and they, they can be wrong, and I'll be right. 
So whatever it is that you've got that you're going to disagree on, Paul says, whatever you guys have, whatever your problem seems to be, here's the thing I want you to understand, that you can agree in the Lord. So for crying out loud, settle your disagreement right now because you are tearing things apart. In the midst of his joy, Paul is deeply concerned and he's almost is pleading the best that he can in a letter. Please, 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 please. Like, you know, he would have emojis down on his knees if he could. You know, telling them, please, I need you to settle this. So notice what he says. He goes on, verse 3, he says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, I love the way the King James puts it, my yoke fellow, my true companion, and we don't know who it is. Whoever his true companion and partner is, he says, I need you, listen to this, to help these women, I need you to step in and help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. These were, again, these were not, you know, people that were on the outskirts of the ministry. These were leaders. He said, these two ladies... I don't get it. They've been with me contending for the gospel. They have been looking at the big picture, what has happened. And so he says to them, Paul says to them, in this letter, he's addressing them personally to the, to the, to the church at Philippi. And he's like, hey, God, I need you all to settle this. And he says, and listen, my partner, my compadre, my companion, I need you to step in because these women have contended at my side for the gospel. They have, they have been right there. Don't, don't let this get out of hand. Start focusing on the gospel. And then he says, in the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, and then I love this, he says, whose names are in the book of life. You read that? I was like, what's the book of life got to do with it? Book of life, the book of eternal life. What the, the, we call it's been called the Lamb's Book of Life, and there's debates about exactly what it means, but he's like, okay. Their names, along with all of my other people that have worked with me, their names are in the book of life, which means one thing. You know what Paul's reminding them of? Remind them that they are going to be spending eternity together. That this picture is much bigger than their petty differences over the seats, the coffee pots, the chairs, who gave what to whom and when. It's, it's bigger than your arguments over these minor points of theology and you getting, getting caught up with eschatology and when Jesus is going to return and wanting to argue about premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism and pre-tribulation and mid-tribulation and post-tribulation. It's, it's more important than all of those things. You can talk about that, but when you start to reduce it to where it creates personal conflict and you are name-calling, you have a problem. So he says, knock it off and remember whose you are. Stop the conflict. So I think the lesson, and let me press this. Oh, look at that. Here's what Paul says. Be more concerned about keeping the right perspective than making the right point. You want to sum all of everything I'm going to, and we're going to even get more practical than this. But Paul says to them, you've got to, you're worried about making your point. You think about this. When you post on Facebook, you just want to make your point. 
You want to make a point? Sometimes you want it to be funny. I know I want mine to be funny. People go, oh, that's funny. You know. But you're worried about making a point. You want to make a point with your conversation. You want to make a point with your email. You want to make a point with your note. You want to make a point with your post. You want to make a point with all these things. You want to make a point, but you better make sure before you make the point that you have the right perspective. Because if not, it's just your perspective. And so what Paul says is, look, the perspective is, I am God's child. This is God's child. And because of that, we're going to be spending eternity together. So I need to make sure that I'm keeping it up here when I'm making my point And I'm looking at it as, how does God want me to communicate this? Now you say, well, that's for Christians. What about non-Christians? It's even worse. Let me tell you what. You can post all the wonderful, beautiful memes on Facebook Facebook about Jesus loves you and I love Jesus and then you can turn around and call somebody some name and argue with them over politics and you have just destroyed your opportunity to talk to them about the more important thing which is Jesus not Donald Trump not Barack Obama not the Republicans not the Democrats and not the independents the perspective is it's about Jesus and he says Paul says you guys forgot that let's come back to that you have to have the right perspective we have to be more concerned about the perspective, the right perspective, than making the right point. It's always about making a point. And just think about, that's what happens in your, in your relationship conflict. You want to make your point. Boy, I don't know about you, but when I get into it, I'm not even hearing what the other person says because I'm formulating my quippy response. I'm not listening to them. I'm thinking, okay, now how can I, how can I go? It's like Rocky Balboa in a fight. I'm like, okay, now I got to twist, I got to come around this. Oh, I come back, oh, I can smack him like this. Listen, I struggle with this as much or more than you do. But it's destroying our society. And the people that have to take responsibility for it is us in the church. So how do we really drill down to keep that right perspective? I'm going to give you four quick things. I was going to put them on notes, but I'm going to put them here so you can, four principles and you can take notes. There's cards in your pews or uh, right, right on your hand. I don't care. So I'm going to give you four different scriptures and you can look these up later, but I'm going to write them out. So here's the first, ver first verse I want to look at. Look at this. Sensible people, I don't like this verse by the way. Sensible people control their temper. You know what? You know what the implication is there. People that are not sensible don't. I mean, that's what he's saying. If you're sensible, you control it. If you lack common sense, then you don't. That's it. In fact, he might as well be saying to me, "Look, Bob, you have no sense if you when you don't control your temper." Notice what he says: sensible people control their temper, and then he says they earn respect. I don't like this verse. Look at the next word. By doing what? Overlooking wrongs. Oh, wait a minute. You, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm on social media and somebody says something stupid, I have a real problem overlooking it. I want to set the record straight. I want to make sure that I tell them, no, you have the wrong perspective on that. When, when someone says something to me and, and, and may get in my face or writes me a note or sends me an email, I'm like, the first thing I want to do is I start formulating a response when sometimes what he's saying, the best thing to do is to overlook it. 
Now, folks, I wish I could tell you I was taking this out of context. Go home, look it up, and say, maybe Bob was taking it out of context, because that hits a little too close to home. This is Proverbs. It's almost virtually impossible to take them out of context. So here's what he says. Here's step number one, or principle number one. He says, smarten up. Wise up. Be smart about how you're dealing with other people. And smartness means that I just sometimes just have to overlook it. Sometimes it's just not worth it. I have engaged in more dumb debates over the stupidest things. And my wife will say to me later, why you did that? Why you did that? And then I'll say something really smart like, because I'm right. (laughs) And you know what she'll say? Yay! I got nothing. Except I've lost time, precious time, when I could have been doing other things, when I'm trying to set somebody straight. He says, smarten up. Get wise. The most sensible thing that you can do is to control yourself and sometimes just let it go. Just overlook it. Look at this next verse. Proverbs 12, 16. I don't like this one either. In fact, I don't like any of these Proverbs. I'm just going to tell you right now. A fool is quick-tempered. Okay. Great. Here it is again. But a wise person stays calm. What's it say? When what? When it, When what? You're going to insult me or my mama and you want me to stay calm? That's what it says. You know why people hurl insults? They are trying to tweak you. They are trying to get into a debate. Have you ever watched professional fighters? It's great. I can't wait for this uh, Mayweather-McGregor fight. These guys are insulting one another like mad. You know, they're talking trash outside the ring, and, and, and they're going to keep talking trash so much that the fight's probably going to be about $150, and I'm probably going to pay for it just to see what happens in the ring. You know? Most of the time, I pay for these fights, and, you know, next morning you can watch it on Instagram, which means it's less than a minute. You know? But, but, but we, get, we get caught up in that and they hurl the insults at one another and they're, and they're tweaking one another because they're trying to get under the skin because somebody that practices martial arts will tell you and a boxer can tell you the worst thing you can do is to lose your temper because then you can't think, your adrenaline takes over, you're, you're punching too fast and you're just not, you're not keeping your head about you. So when people throw insults, whether it be on Facebook on Twitter, in person, in a letter, in an email. They are trying to call you out. And of course, if you're like me, when they call you out, you want to come out and say, I'm right here, let's go. And the writer of Proverbs says, stay calm. Because see, if they insult you and you don't respond, where are they going to go from there? They may keep trying to insult so what he says is, is that to stay calm. So he says, smarten up. Number two is to stay calm. Staying calm means taking a pause. The pause is what keeps you out of trouble. The brief pause of being able to breathe for a second, and my, my daughter could imitate me perfectly. 
because when she says, when, when she or somebody else says something, I have this thing where we're talking at the table and I jump, and when she told me she had a boyfriend, I, she's got the perfect imitation where I kind of put my hands down and I go, and the first thing I do is I go, if there's three breaths, it's really big, you know. But it's like you can see the, the physiological change. But I'm really actually stopping to try to think. Because if I don't stay calm, my mouth gets ahead of me. Probably happens to you too. Or somebody insults me online and says something. I'm thinking, you're insulting my intelligence. Oops. Then you try to delete it. Somebody goes, I just screenshotted that. Oh. Stay calm when you're insulted. Stay calm. The worst thing you can do is to get involved. Look at this next verse, a third one I don't like. <laughs> Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. What? No. No, no. Well, no. If somebody wants to fight you, you have to fight back. Now what he's talking about here is he says, here it is again, only fools insist on quarreling. There's a lot of fools, a lot of people that lack sense in these Proverbs. He says, you're gonna, you want to sit there and continue to quarrel? You're a fool. You're going to insist on quarreling? Proverbs 23, New Living Translation. Really? You want to just continue to quarrel? Continue to fight? Continue to honor? Continue to escalate this? Is that what you want to do? Continue to fight? The writer of Proverbs says, don't do it. Don't do it. In fact, here's what he's saying to us. <laughs> I love this. Stroll by. There's nothing to see here. Keep walking. Or, in the case of social media, scroll by. Can I tell you something? You don't have to answer every stupid thing on Facebook. I'm telling myself that too because I see it and I go, mm, want to say that, want to say that. And what I have to learn is, is that when somebody wants to quarrel, I don't have to take the bait. Now, sometimes the bait may not be directed at me personally. Sometimes it may be. But it may be directed at my particular principles on politics or theology or religion or something else. And so then I'm thinking, all right, it's not directed at me, but it's directed at what I believe in. So it is necessary for me to respond. And I'm here to tell you that I have never changed anyone's mind by arguing with them in person. And I have never changed anyone's politics, theology, or faith on social media by arguing with them or posting those stupid little memes. Some are clever. i got to give you credit. But what he's saying is avoid it. When, it, when they want to quarrel, stroll by or scroll by. Keep going. There's nothing to see here. Keep on moving. Everything's going to be okay. Oh, now, the next one is even more difficult. I ain't even got to say anything, do I? Proverbs 22, 24. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. Don't Befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. You know why? Because you're going to be angry and hot-tempered. 
And I'm going to tell you again, if I think if Paul were here, I'm taking some literary license, I think he would say when he says don't, don't befriend people, he could put in there, don't friend people on Facebook, don't follow people on Twitter, don't follow people on Instagram that are angry and that are going to be hot-tempered because it's going to continually tweak you and you're going to get involved in this and you don't need to. There are a few people that I have to keep on my Instagram feed because if I stop, they're going to know that I've stopped. So I have, to, I have to be careful. But every single thing is negative and this, and then I'm like, oh. And I have to, I have to scroll past. And I don't even like to have to scroll past because the problem is, is that I need to learn to not even stop and read. I stop and read. Now I'm getting to where I don't respond, but I still stop and read. And then I Ugh. So he says, look, Stop hanging around people that are angry. Don't befriend them. Don't befriend hot-tempered people. Don't be around them predominantly because you are going to be like them. So what he says here is steer clear. Steer clear. Steer clear of the people that are going to have a negative impact on you because they will. Angry begets angry. It's interesting, isn't it? It's also very hard. I mean, think about what he says. You know, we talked about to be more concerned about keeping the right perspective than making the right point. How do we keep the perspective? There's where he says it right there. Smarten up. Stay calm. Stroll or scroll by and steer clear. These are extremely practical things for us. Not only in the church, but in dealing with people out there in the business world, dealing with people in our clubs, dealing with people in our commissions, dealing with people everywhere, we, there is going to be conflict. And the question is going to be, how are we going to be measured by it? Because they're going to look at us and they're going to know, oh, because if you've said anything about Jesus, if you've said anything about church, they're going to be watching everything that you're doing. And you're going to blow it sometime. And the best thing you can do is apologize, pull it down, say something, you know, make it right as quickly as you can. But the best way to deal with conflict are these four things. I wish I, wish I could give you a magic wand and say, hey, this is going to be easy. Those four things right there are the hardest thing that you will ever do. When I was even more hot-tempered in high school, I remember that I was at our pastor's house, and I just have such fond memories of Bill Rogers and what he did and who he is. And um, They used to have a thing, some of you may not even know what these are, called a parsonage. Worst possible deal in the world for a pastor. Uh, the daycare back here was the parsonage at one point back in the early 70s, um, or before that. And what that means is the pastor lives on campus, so people just kind of walk in and, you know, hey, I need to use the bathroom. Hey, can I, hey, you know. So it's, it, and, they, and they found out too, more than anything else, that it wasn't the best deal because when the pastor would leave, they had, you know, most of us have equity if we own a house. The, the best investment we've had is our house and there was no equity. So they started doing something called a man's allowance and the, the pastors didn't live on campus anymore. The time when Bill Rogers was at Pompano, he lived on campus in this house. And I remember he was having a leadership meeting. And so it was about the high school department. And all of us, all the volunteers were coming down there. And I remember, I can still remember being in it. I, I, was, I was maybe my first summer 
uh, home from college. It may, and it may have been even earlier than that. It may have still been when I was in high school. But I can still remember being in Bill's living room. And Bill was sitting over on the fireplace. And everybody's around sort of in, the, in sort of the den. And all of a sudden, this guy asked a question. And the way, you ever notice, you can always tell that somebody's trying to tweak you by how they ask the question. As soon as he asked the question, I thought, hmm, that was not for information purposes. That was for antagonization purposes. So Bill responded back and said, well, no, so-and-so, we're not going to do it like that because if we do that, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And so that, and he answered him just like that. Guy stands up throws his stuff down on the ground and he starts moving towards Bill and I'm like what is this idiot doing and so he starts yelling and screaming he's playing, and I'm watching Bill and Bill's sitting there and I'm thinking okay is this going to escalate and he continued bah! and it, Bill sat there and shook his head and I'm thinking hmm it continued for what seemed like an eternity but was probably only about two minutes maybe less than that guy looks over at his wife and said are you coming and Bill looked over at the wife like, you better go. You stay here. You're going to have problems at home. So she got up and, and she left with him. And the guy left and I thought, and it was one of those, one of those you know, things where it's, very, it's an awkward moment and you're wondering what's going to happen now. And Bill says, we need to pray for so-and-so. He's got a lot of stuff going on at home right now and a lot of stuff in his business. And he said, so I want you all to pray for him. And then he went, right back into the meeting and I thought I really wanted to see you hit him you know that's what I was thinking but Bill handled it exactly like that that situation could have escalated out of control that guy wound up coming back and apologizing now, Bill could have taken, taken sides and said, hey, you know, uh, we need to do something about that. Could have, you know, caused all... Nope. Guy wound up staying in the church, wound up being a leader, apologized, and did have some other things going on. So you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. Managing conflict has to do with us. And I encouraged everybody last week to, for us to kind of tamp down the rhetoric, especially as, as followers of Jesus. It's too easy for us to share our thoughts thoughtlessly. People share their thoughts without thought today. Don't do it. It's up to us to reduce the conflict. And so we have to remember to be, if we're going to do it, to be more concerned about keeping the right perspective than making the right point. Your point is far less important than God's perspective on the situation. Let's pray.